and welcome to At the Forefront FinTech Conversations. I'm Michael Kingsley, a Senior Vice President at Forefront Communications. We're a specialized marketing and PR firm focused on the capital markets and institutional FinTech sectors. And today I'm joined by Aaron Hantman, CEO at our client Tourmaline Partners. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Michael. And Tim O'Halloran, Managing Director at Tourmaline. Hi, Tim. Hi, Michael. Now, Tourmaline is the industry's leading independent outsourced trading solutions firm, serving clients that range from hedge funds at launch all the way up to the largest global asset managers. Tourmaline was founded in Stamford, Connecticut, and operates trading desks there and in London and Sydney. And in January, the firm celebrated the 10th anniversary of its launch. All right, Aaron, let's jump right into it. Tell us a little bit about how Tourmaline started and where you are now. Sure, Michael. Uh, well, we started back uh, tra- our trading operation in January of 2011. Um, at the time, we started with 11 people. Uh, and uh, although a lot has changed in the last 10 years, much has remained the same. And what I mean by that is the core tenants of what we're delivering to our client base and, and the goals or objective of the firm remain the same. Uh, we have increased in all of the metrics that you would want to in a business, both from a client perspective, our self-side brokerage coverage, uh, the number of employees, the expertise that we're bringing, uh, and therefore our training activity and our, our brand recognition in the space. Um, we've certainly benefited from tailwinds that have taken place in a, in a market, um, some of which are driven by regulatory change, some are just uh, business changes or practices. Uh, lastly, and being able to improve the educational process and when clients or prospects are evaluating different outsource providers. So today, um, we measure uh, just under 50 people, uh, 350 plus clients, 400 different brokerage relationships throughout the globe, uh, and offices in all three major trading regions, North America, Europe, and Asia. Now, in the intro, I I talked about how you serve all different sizes of clients, and that's sort of developed over time, hasn't it? It started, uh, you started a certain way, but always had this vision. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, uh, it it certainly has changed both in the variety of clients, but also um, the distribution of size if you're measuring out by AUM. Uh, what, What we recognized when developing Tourmaline and bringing it first to market was that uh, outsource trading as it had been known a a decade ago was highly oriented towards just hedge fund launches. It was primarily an extension of the PB unit. Um, What we recognized is that we could bring that up the AUM scale, provide services in not just a 100% outsource capacity, but we thought we could bring a new term and new practice of supplementary trading to the community and, and in fact, coin that along the way as a service. Uh, In doing so, we did develop relationships with clients of higher AUM that were looking for specific services, but not all of their to be covered by by us as a firm. Uh, The most common areas are regional coverage. Uh, It could be more labor-intensive order flow or intensive order flow like small cap trading. Uh, But it could simply be uh, backing somebody up 
uh, or adding an expertise that they don't have. Uh, and that really brought our product to a wide variety of client types that hire AUM, which then brought along with it mandates to do full outsource solutions for even higher AUM clients as well. So both product lines continue to grow at a healthy pace. And it means our version uh, of outsource trading, that buy side version, has a large addressable market. I, you know, I want to stay on that uh, just a little bit. I will be talking about the regional offices a little bit more later. But I know in talking with you that the adoption by the industry sort of has gone a different way in London, London, UK, EU, than it took place here with it going almost from smaller to the larger adopting it and something like the reverse taking place in, in Europe, right? That the, the larger managers availed themselves first and then it went down the food chain? The, that, that's, that's true. In regions, we'll have different driving factors, different interpretations, and therefore a different evolutionary path and how they look at outsource trading and, and adopt it. Uh, you mentioned the, the key difference in Europe being that there was a lot of resistance from the smaller funds to completely outsource. It wasn't very well understood. Uh, again, there was just a reluctance. Um, maybe the players weren't as well known in, in the European community, but there were some higher profile conversions from larger asset managers, uh, some that came to Tourmaline, uh, a few others that went elsewhere, uh, that garnered enough attention uh, for the rest of the buy side players to really start looking in-depthly at, at outsource trading, what the capabilities were, what the differences between the firms were. I would also say MIFID II, uh, being more of a regulatory action, really drove people to look at uh, the benefits, both economically and of, from performance that can be driven by a model like Tourmaline's. I'll just add that in Asia, it's been a little bit of both. Um, it, it's a harder region to cover because it's much more vast. The Asian trading markets are more factioned across the different countries. Um, so you have many of the smaller managers very willing to outsource, and you also have some of the largest managers willing to outsource some of their business as well. So I think Asia fairly shared qualities of North America and Europe, and it's also Europe is and, and the U.S. That's yeah. great. Um, I want to bring Tim in uh, here a little bit. And, and uh, the way you were talking about MIFID always makes me think of research. And Tim, your background is uh, at Westminster Research Associates. So you, you before Tourmaline even started, you had a hand in creating your own company. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how uh, Tourmaline helps with research and, and commission management? Sure. Thanks, Michael. Um, yeah, my, my early career was uh, after close to eight years at Lehman Brothers, we, we began a business that we call Westminster Research. And Tourmaline was a, a good client for many years, and I joined them about five years ago. Um, you know, to Aaron's point, regulation has played a role in, in how this industry has changed. Uh, MIFID, of course, is an above-the-fold um, you know, regulatory sea change in Europe, but it's impacted the rest of the world. And, you know, certainly transparency around reach about, uh, you know, institutional managers and asset owners having a better sense of the costs associated with research, as well as trading has played a, a really a big role in how the regulation is, has been, been uh, kind of uh, dealt with. 
Um, clients everywhere are thoughtful about what their research spend is, uh, the costs associated with it, where they source it. Um, regulation in different regions has how clients move. Um, we saw in Europe, uh, because of the regulation that, that MIFID foisted on managers, you saw a number of managers uh, get out of the business of using their commission flow to acquire research. Um, that was a drastic sea change. We didn't see that in the US. We did not see other regulators follow. Um, yet the impacts are felt globally and that asset owners will require information, transparency, and detail from asset managers, regardless of where they're located. Um, to some extent, that demand for transparency and unbundling lends itself for trading as well. Aaron, you mentioned the, the goals of the firm when you founded it. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, what you and the partners had in mind and, and how that manifests itself and what you guys are able to do for clients today? Sure. So I think there were basic principles that we identified first that we could uh, deliver a world-class buy-side trading desk with scale that could interface with the sell side uh, in a manner that clients either couldn't do on their own or recognized could be done better. We needed to be global. Uh, we needed to be in a position where the sell side was well-respected and included in this process. We were delivering liquidity and sometimes sell side resources without being a disintermediary um, to facilitate the goals of, of the client. Um, we, all need, we needed to do that with trading expertise and helping clients manage the, the cost of trading, both explicitly and implicitly. Um, so what's the difference between explicit and implicit costs? Explicit is, is, uh, being able to follow the actual components of transactional costs, the cost of executing the trade, some of it's uh, the communication of that trade, the clearing and settling of that trade. Those are all measurable variables that are included in the cost of trading. The implicit side is how well you can do in the marketplace. Um, so there's uh, analysis that can go along with that. TCA is very commonly used to do that. Um, there's also the user experience in, in knowing what the situation is. TCA provides uh, a valuable service, but it doesn't really uh, cover every type of trading situation. That's an experience that traders and portfolio managers are going to get utilizing a trader uh, like we have in a seat at Tourmaline and evaluating uh, a real life opinion on how well we're performing. So we've talked a little bit about what Tourmaline does and, and how you're helping your clients. I wanna get a little more biographical here, Aaron, and, and talk about when you started the firm, uh, You know, well, go back earlier in your career, you were a trader. And so if you look at, uh, I guess, if you looked at your link, if you look at your LinkedIn page or just have a discussion with you, there's this career going on as a trader. And now here we are in 2021 and you're running your own business. So I'm curious what that transition was like in your career and how what you've done earlier informs what you do today. Sure. To, to start, um, the transition from being a pure trader into more of a managerial role actually, for me, predated Tormley. And I spent the first 12 years of my career at Susquehanna Investment Group, uh, which is a firm I hold in very high regard. Uh, and I was given quite a bit of opportunity to play as both trader and manager or coach and player in a, a few businesses. Eventually, 
uh, I became the global head of sales for their institutional uh, business, which was a role that required a full-time manager. Um, so that came with quite a bit of trepidation, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I was concerned uh, first that I would be giving up the skill set that I'd worked hard to build within Susquehanna and thought it might be limiting if I were simply a manager. Um, and uh, I worried about that. It ended up working out for the best. Um, but what I will say is Susquehanna taught me and, and does a very good job in, in, in teaching their traders how to make good decisions and, and running a business like Tourmaline is just like being a trader. Uh, it helps certainly to understand the seat, the position that our traders are in, yes. But the decisions that we make as a management team are similar to those trading decisions when I was risking capital. Uh, you make positive expectancy decisions or bets. You limit your risk. Um, you understand the influences uh, on those decisions, the costs, what's happening around you, as, uh, digesting that information that's out in the marketplace and evaluating how it's going to apply to your investment decision. Um, so I, I still feel, uh, I like to think I'm, I still have a trader element. I'm sure my very seasoned by, by side experienced traders in the seat view it quite differently. Uh, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for what they do each day and the interaction and value they bring to our clients. So inside every trader, there's a manager waiting to get out? Or uh, do you think no. there's some people who uh, would not jump at the opportunity and are happy in the trenches? Many are happy right where they are. Perhaps they're smarter for it. Um, uh, but I would say that managing a business is, is very different than sitting in a trader's high-paced seat, different skill sets, and there are different appeals, uh, too. There are different pros and cons to each seat. Uh, I think most traders that grew up the way I did within uh, a Susquehanna and now at Tourmaline would say there are more traders that would prefer to be in, the, in that seat than move on to be mm -hmm. managers. Now, so you, I think when you left Susquehanna, you were managing about 250 people. And then it was when you started Tourmaline, you were back down to 10 or 11, right? Yes. And, yes. and did you did you take a seat back on the desk in the early days at Tourmaline? I did. I did. So I went back to being a, a player coach, if you will, uh, and spent uh, the trading day on the desk helping build the options piece of our business, our derivatives business, when opportunity presented itself, was able to transition into pure manager. Um, that was both hiring the right people to come in and run the derivatives piece, but also our, our growth demanded the, the full attention of a, of a manager. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that hiring the right people because, you know, for all of our conversation just now about there's a lot, a lot of folks who just want to be in the trenches and that's where they excel you guys have been looking for, for people who have more of sort of an entrepreneurial spirit and are, are sort of thinking about the bigger picture as well about, about the company, right? Yes. Uh, one thing that we identified when starting Tourmaline was that this is a, a service-oriented business. If we were sitting in a portfolio manager seat or a trader seat and providing these services, it had to be delivered in a certain way. Uh, and it had to go beyond just best execution 
it had to be throughout the life cycle of the trade. So we've invested a lot in our hiring across the operational team, certainly the trading team, the commission management team, really every aspect of the service that we provide. But when it comes to our traders, they're in the seat that's most frequently interfacing with our clients. Um, they have to think like business managers and, and work in alignment with us as partners to make sure we're providing the best service we can to our clients and, and building it in a direction where they're moving. So we've been highly oriented to hiring the deeply experienced buy-side traders. We're delivering a buy-side product. Why wouldn't you do that? Uh, we've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to hire uh, many former clients uh, that were really familiar with Tourmaline and what our capabilities were doing and eager to kind of join us when the opportunity came up. And we've had extremely low turnover in the firm. So we've been able to build a culture that really, again, is, is insightful into what the clients need and are looking for. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really interesting. As we hit the tenth uh, anniversary, and I want to go back to Tim because you, you you've said to me that you recognize that entrepreneurial spirit first at Westminster and then now now at Tourmaline. Can you can you pull on that thread a little bit and tell me about that sort of entrepreneurial DNA and I guess how the how clients respond to that when when they interact with somebody who uh, you know is approaching things that way. Sure. Thanks, Michael. Um, you know, as Aaron pointed out, at the end of the day, we're a service organization. And, you know, having spent uh, eight years on the sell side, a, a well-respected firm, Lehman Brothers, a larger firm, um, you know, anyone that's been in the industry for a while knows that you can wander around a floor, whether it's a trading floor or any side of a business and see who thinks like an entrepreneur and who's punching a clock, for lack of a better term. Um, in a small firm, there's nowhere to hide. You, you, you're creating value. You're servicing clients, so you're, you're either adding alpha and helping them save time or money, or you're not. And to some extent, um, all small businesses will only grow if they succeed and they perform. So that entrepreneurial spirit is, is really important if you're starting small and you expect to scale. Um, I saw it in my former life. Uh, I saw it as we grew a firm. As I mentioned earlier, Tourmaline was a client of mine for many years, the partners, and in their predecessor firm as well. Um, so it was clear to me that, you know, they were creating a business that had a vision, a talented team, um, and, um, and good firms like that grow. And, and that's not an accident. You know, Aaron, as we're telling this story over the 10 years, uh, you pretty quickly opened a London office, but the Sydney office, the London office opened, I think, within a year or so of the Stanford office. And uh, Sydney, you opened in 2017. So can you take us through you know, sort of the, the decision-making process, how, how you decided to open one and then the other and, and how that's gone? Yeah, absolutely. To start, we recognized uh, day one that we needed to have a global trading operation. The investment community had already moved in that direction and uh, we felt that was going to be critical for our clients. So as soon as possible, as you mentioned, we were able to provide trading services in Europe and in Asia, uh, although, yeah, as you pointed out, we opened an office, the physical location in London, uh, right away within year one. And it took a number of years before we put boots on the ground in, in Asia. Uh, there are a couple reasons for that. One, uh, London was uh, a different regulatory agency, so we became 
uh, regulated and, and registered with the FCA. Uh, London was the clear uh, economic epicenter of, of Europe and was a pretty logical choice for us at the time. Uh, Asia presented different uh, optionality. One, we were not required to have a second uh, regulatory agency. We were able to open there as a passport through our U.S. broker-dealer. Um, so we were able to trade very quickly, and we were doing it from the U.S. for, for many years. Um, the other optionality that's, that's presented by Asia is there isn't a strong demand to be in one particular city over another. Um, and what we found is that uh, over time, uh, as we moved up the AUM scale with clients, there were some that had charters that required their executing brokers to be uh, on the ground in Asia, but it didn't require a particular city. Um, so then true to the rest of the way we have built the firm, we looked at individuals um, and did a fair amount of recruiting uh, and spent two years before making a, a decision on the individuals that we would have come in and lead the firm in that region. Uh, that ended up being Sydney, Australia. We've had some a lot of success in, in having uh, boots on the ground there. It does not mean we won't be in other cities in, in Asia. I think the sales effort helps to be approximate. And Asia is a big place to be traveling around, uh, whether you're in Sydney or Hong Kong or Singapore. So, uh, you know, that is uh, an area where we could potentially see growth. Yeah, that's, it strikes me that um, the dichotomy between having folks who are, you know, traders and sales folks at the same time becomes very pronounced for the boots on the ground there. And uh, I've only worked with him briefly, but James Santo is a, a very specific uh, kind of character in uh, he runs the Sydney office who's able to both handle the business side and handle growth, but at the same time, focus on the trading function. Yes. Um, not everybody can do that. We're, we're fortunate to have James in uh, Sydney and Andrew Walton in London. Um, both are capable of doing that. And I, I think it goes back to uh, our conversation earlier where they do have a, a player coach type of uh, role. And, um, you know, I could see there being uh, some additions along the way in new geographies. Um, but those, those are important positions. And um, again, not everybody can do it or not everybody should do that. So we've spent a lot of time talking about the road ahead. Uh, are you guys watching behind you to see uh, who might be coming up and trying to enter this uh, this industry as well? What are, what are the what do you see as the barriers to entry right now? I think Michael, it's it's uh, you know it's hard to recreate what we recreate what we created here. Um, we spent ten years building a firm. I think there's a pretty good sized moat around it. Um, to some extent, where you sit in the marketplace dictates what you can do. So the fact that we are independent and agnostic. And the fact that we're structured in the capacity of a buy side trading desks make it very hard for people to, to copy this overnight. Um, you can't simply put someone in a chair at a large firm overseas and suggest you have a global footprint. You can't operate as a buy side desk if you are in fact positioned as a sell side firm. Um, if you are not a client to the sell side, you can't suggest that you're accessing liquidity, information, color and news from a vast network of valued sources. 
So it's very hard to recreate what we've put in place. You know, I want to talk before we're done uh, a little bit about how uh, COVID and the pandemic impacted your industry and then Tourmaline specifically. And you were in Sydney, right, when things started uh, falling apart in February was when you were there, right? Exactly. I was there right before Tom Hanks. Um, <laughs> and I think was uh, well recognized as being a famous American who, who contracted COVID while in Sydney. Um, I was apparently at the restaurant the, the night before he went through and, and then the day after uh, announced uh, or a few days after announced that he had COVID. So uh, yes, I was there uh, and left a little bit early to assure that I could come home to the U.S. safely. At the time, that was a concern. Uh, but your question was more oriented at how COVID's impacted the industry. How have you operated the business? You guys all had to shift to going remote and so on. Um, and, and then you started fielding calls from the clients who, who needed help uh, and using your services in new ways too, right? So maybe tell us a little story there of, of how, how that started happening, how you guys got your feet uh, feet on the ground and then what you were hearing from clients. We transitioned to a work from home environment very early on. Um, fortuitously, our systems are, are, are set up to be quite flexible in that regard. Initially, they were designed that way to meet uh, our BCP uh, our offices, which have not been used at all during COVID, but still came in handy in having the infrastructure to get people into those work from home environments. Um, and therefore, we didn't have delays on, on actual hardware um, in hard to reach places like Sydney. So within mid-March, we were working from home entirely um, and ready as the volatility ramped up. From there, we did uh, find that our clients, uh, our current clients at the time, were experiencing different needs. Some were trying to get into a work from home environment and needed us to supplement their training. Others were having real difficulty in finding liquidity in a lot of names and were using us um, more often uh, than they had in the past. Others had experienced some broker avenues, particularly electronic venues go down. Um, so there were a number of ways that uh, we were able to help existing clients. Uh, and in that, uh, combined with the increased in volatility and therefore volume, we were uh, very busy as many other broker dealers were uh, and, and remain so through 2020 and, and remain so today. Uh, along the way, uh, one point that I would make is that uh, there's been more narrative about how COVID has impact outsourced trading um, recently, um, drawing parallels to how it will aid the growth of outsourced trading. What I think is getting lost in this is that we were experiencing hockey stick-like growth three years preceding COVID and have uh, throughout 2020, we've added more new clients in 2020 than we ever have. I can only point to two of those that are COVID related. They were funds that were created to take advantage of displacement in the market early on, uh, done very quickly and funded by clients that were already known to Tormway. 
I was going to say to Aaron's point, uh, you know, COVID didn't create the opportunity for us. What it did was really validate the business proposition. You know, as Aaron pointed it out, whether it was the need to help with liquidity during periods of great volume and volatility, people thinking about business continuity plans and backup. But also, we just noticed the simple concept that people were very comfortable that a trader didn't necessarily have to reside in an office next to a portfolio manager. The idea of, of remote work became a little more um, of an above the fold concept. Um, so, you know, I think from, from that perspective, you know, we've adapted very nicely. We spend a fair amount of time now doing WebExes to help clients see our technology and reporting and, you know, how we, we track and, uh, and um, you know, provide their business, uh, business analysis directly to them. Um, but with that, I think, you know, the whole this is an industry where uh, I don't want to say everybody's in the this, this, this same boat. Everybody's in the same storm. And I think you have firms that are shining and, and reacting to these challenges, uh, you know, in some cases better than others. Do you guys have just in your, your daily talks with your clients being on the buy side, do you have any kind of crystal ball here as to what happens with work from home and flexibility once we're out of this? Do you get the sense that? Uh, there's going to be a big uh, work from home presence maintained, or do you do you think people are anxious to get back to to trading desks and working uh, near each other? My sense is that the buy side has higher potential to continue to work from home, whereas the sell side, particularly the larger broker dealers and banks, are anxious to get back into the office. I I, I agree with that. I think you're going to see see both. Um, you know, as a leader in the space. I think it's very hard for firms that are trying to enter a space for the first time to grow a business in the absence of being able to travel or or work together as a team. Well, congratulations on 10 years, gentlemen. I uh, really appreciate you doing this today. Thank you to everybody for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Tourmaline, you can visit their website at tourmalinellc.com. If you want to learn more about Forefront, you can visit us at forefrontcoms, that's C-O-M-M-S dot com. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today.